What you looking at me like that for? What, man? Come on, you just drove down here? Yeah. Where's you, Sharon? I'm on time, try not to remember. Try to forget all those times. At some point, you gotta decide for yourself who you're gonna be. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. Tell him why the other boys kick his ass all the time. What's wrong? I'm good. No. I just seem good. And you ain't it. Remember the last time I saw you? You're my only. I'm your only. Hold on. No, 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 no. You gon' listen. To who, Ma? Huh? To you? Who is you, man? I ain't seen you in like a decade. It's not what I expected. What did you expect? Yo, 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 yo. Uh, so I'm Rob Lee and welcome, howdy and welcome to a brand new episode of MTR Podcasts. Let's watch it again. This is the movie review podcast where we break down some of our favorite movies. And today my guest is Christopher Chester, a designer and print collector living and creating in Baltimore. And I brought Christopher on because he knows movies. I mean, that's pretty much the, the reasoning. And today we're reviewing uh, Moonlight. So uh, welcome uh, to the podcast. Thank you, Rob. Glad to be here. Um, I'm also very hyped to talk about Moonlight uh, as a big A24 fan myself, but also just this movie is very impactful and kind of started off that trend of um, exploring masculinity, black masculinity specifically in movies. So I'm excited. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, I think, yeah, I think that's a really good observation to start things off. So, you know, this is where this is kind of the first thing I'm going to ask for you in in this scenario here. Um, So I got a synopsis of the film. Right. And because you're a person that's watched, we both recently watched it. I want to see if this is accurate. This synopsis is accurate because sometimes you go to a site and you're like, all right, synopsis of Moonlight. It's like, nah, that's not kind of what happened, actually. That's certainly yeah. not what went down. So I'm going to give you a synopsis and then, you know, some of these real data points where we'll start off with the synopsis. And I want you to kind of, you know, grade it with this sort of teacher educator mindset that you might have as well. So let's let's see what we got. A look. This is this is synopsis. A look at three defining chapters of the life of Sharon, a young black man growing up in Miami. His epic journey to manhood is guided by the kindness, support, and love of the community that helped raise him. Moonlight. <laughs> I love the sense of epic journey, you know? Like, is growing up in the hood an epic journey, or is it a 
Or is it just like a retelling of Children of Men? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> and also just the whole like the community embrace. And it's like, is it the whole community though? Like, it's a very small <laughs> slither. It's it's like the the noble drug dealer, if anything, and, it, yeah, and his right? girlfriend, <laughs> and his man's and, and sand. Sand's a part of this. Uh, I would give that like a C plus. That's like a um, that's like a a good G rated uh, synopsis of that movie. You know, if you have kids in the car and you want to know what moonlight's about that's a great synopsis i like it i like it um i remember one of the things in terms of sort of these 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 black movies he's sort of like grown up in the hood and i just remember there's one scene before i get to these other bullet points before we get to the trivia and all uh i remember having to explain certain things to my my white counterparts in a job i was in <laughs> it's like why is he why are they using detergent to cl- are they cleaning the tub i was like nah it's called a bath <laughs> that's what he's doing yeah, there are some like subtle scenes in that movie. Um, I'm glad that you brought that one up because they just kind of show you without saying it. But like yeah. he uses he boils the water on the stove with the hot pot because they don't have hot water in the house. He uses deter- dish detergent because that's the soap. For, that's everything soap. And, you know, like he's taking a bath because like there's no running water from the shower. So, like, yeah. It's very like you really put in the the scenario that Sharon is in, um, and it really shows you that like they are poor, like there is no uh, money in this house. It goes downhill um, from when we first see his mom to when we last see his mom, or nearly when we last see his mom. But we'll we'll get into that. So um, I want to start off with a few of these sort of factoids, and this this first one's a little trepidatious as to when the movie was released, because I saw this as part of the um, Oscars uh, Best Picture Showcase. And this oh, is yes. part of like 10 movies. So, you you know, I always look at when I saw the movie versus like when it came out. And I, I thought this came out in 2017, but it says it came out October 21st of 2016. So maybe a limited release or something like that. But this feels like it was a 2017 movie. But hey. I think it's because the Oscars itself always premiere at the beginning of the new year for the previous year. Yeah. I, and I remember seeing this at the Charles in Baltimore city. Um, because, and I know it was 2016 because there was the whole La La Land, uh, tobacco <laughs> at the Oscars, which also came out that year. <laughs> Look, I have a running bit about that and I'm not going to go into it. it it's just we'll me going, it's just me going with the jazz hands. <laughs> Because literally, every, the colorism in this movie, it's just white people of John Legend. That's what we got. La, la, la. Oh, my God. Like the Warner Brothers frog just like dancing across the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Michigan J. Frog. Exactly. So this movie was directed by uh, Barry Jenkins. This was his uh, second movie. Um, I believe the first one was, um, what is it? Uh, Melancholy. Uh, da, 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 da. I, I know it's later in the notes. Um the this so you know not to bury the lead it won the Academy Award for Best Picture in you know 2016 or you know into 2017. Uh, box office was 65.3 million. Um, budget was one and a half million. So just nothing. Just you know you never know what the marketing budget is for some of these movies, but it may have been double. It may have been an additional three. But this is like a huge win for the type of movie this is. Um, IMDb 7.4 out of 10. Um, and I start looking at some of these, right, mm-hmm. where you start looking at the comparison from 
you know, one sort of rating system to another. And I used to really be into the rating systems. And now I kind of look at who's the valid one. You know what I mean? Like yes. Rotten Tomatoes, I feel like got a little corrupted. And I don't know if it's that in this instance. So Rotten Tomato gave this a 98%. Uh, Metacritic, 99 And uh, um, Google users, which I think is a little closer to what I'm looking for, is about 81 it's okay. a really good movie, but I, I think being near perfect, eh, I don't know. I don't know when you start seeing these 98, 99s. It's like, these are matting ratings. This is these are matting <laughs> I know they're in Florida, but come that. on, guys. <laughs> I, You know, I always get caught up in the rating system, too. Like, I used to go to Rotten Tomatoes for quite a bit just to see what people were looking. And then... What I like most about Rotten Tomatoes is that I like the audience score versus like the yeah. actual like critic based score because that's what they kind of hone all that from. And it's always fun to see like what the audience hates and what the critics love and the critics hate and what the audience love. Um, but it is always funny like what is a perfect movie? And I feel like that's so subjective to to everyone. And like when you start adding a label or a number or a grade to the movie and it's like, what is the ultimate movie experience for you? And that varies for so many people now. And uh, one thing that I've recently added to this sort of scenario, because I'm a letterboxed guy and I always, I always look for the one sentence reviews, you know, it's like, this is insane. This is great. Um, And letterboxed just for posterity's sake, gave this a 4.2 out of five. So I was like, that, that's, that's kind of good. I trust letterboxed a little bit more, but definitely diving into, you know, what people had to say about it, sort of what you were describing there with, I don't care about the critics as much. I care about the actual like people, the people that are going to see this movie. So I, now there's usually, if there is a movie with murders in it, I don't think there are murders in this movie. Yeah. Nobody, nobody's like visibly killed at all. Like, yeah, I usually have a body count <laughs> in here, but uh, this is not that type of movie, but I do have the tagline. Now this kind of goes back to that sort of introduction, uh, the synopsis. The tagline is, this is the story of a lifetime. Oh, that's the tagline. Yes. That feels like such stock. Wording like stock <laughs> copy, you know, like that's like the lorem ipsum for movies. Like you can put that for any movie. Like that could see, just be any Marvel movie right there with that tagline. I was I was hoping to get that response from you. Because <laughs> like that's yeah, a little lacking. This, this is not quite there, guys. Just, and like, is it the story of a lifetime? Like, it's someone's it's a good lifetime story. Like it's a good life based movie. But like, am I going to be eighty? Like, damn, kids, y'all got to watch Moonlight. <laughs> especially going into it because it's like now maybe retroactively sure you can do that and it's like yeah it's definitely worth a watch under this context but going into it these things are decided upon in, in the marketing of the movie so it's like oh yeah did sure. you guys know <laughs> you know what i mean so now i want to get into some of the other things and you know feel free to to chime in if you have any like trivia that that really like resonates and pops for you but i definitely like to get into the the weeds i love trivia um and so i want to start off with uh naomi hers oh yes she shot her entire role in three days in between the promotion tour for Spectre. So this is really setting the stage. So back in 2015, due to a visa problem, she had to do all of her stuff the course of 15 years in three days. <laughs> so, Oh, wow. Yeah. There's a fair amount of makeup on her at one point. <laughs> 
That's impressive. I didn't even realize that. Like, I, I read that they shot the whole movie in 25 days, but yeah. just condensing that further to her scenes only being three days, it's intense. And she really acts in this movie. Yeah, she does. She does. Um, let's see. According to cinematographer James uh, Laxton, Moonlight only had a small budget of $1.5 million, and that was in Variety. Director Barry Jenkins confirmed that in a, in a Q&A at the BFA in London, BFI rather, in London, that this was indeed the budget, uh, that this is a lower budget, uh, this is the lower budget by any movie since, like, Rocky. Like, the, any, like, best picture since Rocky. And it was, um, would have been, let's say, 1.1. So Rocky was like just comparatively like a small micro budget movie to do very well. Um, yeah, that's, that's I love that. I, I love seeing how a director just fully dives into their directorial style. And I actually remember reading uh, some insight into the budget itself. And a lot of the actors were talking about how it made the filming experience more intimate Mm -hmm. and specifically like how, they themselves are almost evolved in the director, the directing and the scene setting um, because of how like connected they were to the directing experience. Um, and even awesome. how it played into the, the visual and styling for the movie, um, specifically why the camera focus looks so soft and like not going for like super sharp or high tech um, kind of technical approach to the shooting. Yeah. Um, and I love that. I think it actually aids into the story itself because um, it's really not even a story that's focused on uh, income or escaping income. If anything, it kind of critiques a lot of the, the income and the, the class it's, itself. So it's very interesting to see the duality between how much money went into making this money movie, what their limitations were, and the limitations in the film itself for the people who are struggling with money and how they kind of overcome that struggle to some degree. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I like the the sort of, like, comedy around it, and Barry Jenkins was like, uh, I think the initial response to it was like, yeah, it's somewhere south of $500 million. And I was like, that's really funny. <laughs> yeah, it is. Like, truly a success for all the distributors and producers involved for that film. And it, and I think it shows you, like, you know, for, for people who want to make a thing that, you know, has some closeness. And I think we'll get back into that a bit where, you know, there are some relations to, you know, Barry Jenkins' story or what have you that are represented in this and just kind of getting this movie made. Um, you know, seeing these sort of smaller budgeted things, it's like if you have an idea and you're able to work with with people and figure it out, it's like you got a tight, you got a tight schedule. You know, you got like sort yep. of like a month. You got a month to get this done. You got, you know, pretty much at that time, you know, probably your biggest people are Mahershala and uh, Naomi Harris. And Mahershala is in the movie for like the first like 20 minutes. And yeah. as, you know, we talked about with Naomi, she's on set for three days and like a piece out. So really maximizing it and really having a strategy in place. Yeah, it's uh, it's very impressive, like. Because Mahershala was doing a lot of, he was starting to come more into the scene, like publicly, with yeah. the work that he was doing, and it was interesting to see him. And then, even the additional actors that they were bringing in, like Janelle Monae playing Teresa, so like we have like some light visibility between Naomi Harris, Janelle Monae, Mahershala, and so it's like, of course, there's marketing in the fact that these are like black figures in the culture already so people are going to be curious to learn a little bit more about this story and then um 
the lead, Chiron, being um, split between three different like age ranges, I thought was very interesting because um, yeah. he's he was unknown until the the movie itself. Yeah. So that scene, which I, I I'm going to nominate as one of my favorite scenes a little bit later, but it's the scene where Juan is teaching Little how to swim. Mahershala is really teaching um, Alex R. Hibbard um, how to swim. The production started. Really? He did not know how to swim. So. It, it's that's actually not acting. This is actually, you know, a real thing. Yeah, that's a beautiful scene. Wow, I didn't even realize that. That's um, that is probably one of my favorite scenes as well. Um, and we'll, we'll definitely talk more about that scene a little bit later. I have some thoughts. Absolutely. See, both um, Barry Jenkins and writer uh, Terrell Alvin McCraney's vision was pretty clear and singular in that both men grew up in the same Liberty, Liberty City neighborhood of Miami with mothers who uh, struggled with drug addiction. Roughly 80% of the film was shot on location there in, most, in uh, one of the most poverty-stricken areas in the U.S. Um, initially, the production was apprehensive due to safety issues, um, and uh, Jenkins got the word out, like, look, nobody's going to bother you. It's, it's, it's going to be fine. It's, it's going to be fine. And um, Naomi Harris said that she never felt so appreciated um, and have such an easy shoot in a movie. That's incredible. I uh, I did read and know about the, the Liberty City connection with Barry Jenkins and especially connecting to his childhood, too. It's very interesting when like a director and a writer both start to reflect their own personal thoughts and their personal upbringing in their work because it feels more real. You don't have to actually say that things are bad. You can show like there are ways to show that yeah. things are bad or a situation is bad, even calling back to the whole that sub scene again but even thinking about like thematically children being forced to like become adults early on um and seeing that kind of visualized with little not speaking a word through any of the scenes in act one yeah 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 uh in, the, in an interview, uh, Barry Jenkins said that the three actors who play Sharon uh, never met during production. Um, he <laughs> wanted each to kind of build their own persona uh, during their respective segments with no influence from the other portrayals. The same technique was used with the actors who played Kevin. That is really cool. Um, I, I love that because then, yeah, there, there is really no connection. You don't even see pictures of young Sharon between each of the acts. Like, and it's not that anybody's like documenting him by any means. He's just kind of exploring and growing in each particular step. And I think that's that's fascinating because we as the viewer know that's him as he's older. And there's just little things that kind of confirm that. Um, but I think that is highly fascinating. They didn't communicate at all. Is it a is there a certain view that Sharon is just a Pokemon? <laughs> like he just and evolves it, at each yeah. step <laughs> and, and if that is the case is black like what is he like he's he like charizard like what what is he like what is this black is definitely like charizard like black comes into his like confidence <laughs> and, and identity and like uh <laughs> <A> little, <laughs> little is like the teenage little is just kind of timid still he's like starting to find his confidence and then you know like the baby form is, is little little kid chiron i love that um the film is based on an unproduced play um uh, the uh in moonlight black boys look blue uh by MacArthur fellow uh terrell alvin mccaney mccraney um who you know liberty city gang gang but the, I uh, I didn't realize it was unproduced. That's it's it's a thing. I I think like when we start looking at 
items that are written, and I'm starting to get starting to think about this from a sort of podcast perspective of, you know, people will maybe produce a play or write a play or, or have something in mind, but maybe can't get it out there in the, in the form that they want to. Mm. Maybe podcasting is a way of doing it, that it's out there and maybe it gets picked up and adapted from, you know, that it exists, that people can consume it. And, and I've just been thinking about that more and more. And this almost gives me a version of that, like the play may not have come out, but it ultimately was adapted into a movie. Yeah. And I feel like at least in this form, um, it's more accessible. There's, I wish more plays were recorded. Like I do like going to plays and seeing um, Broadway productions, but there's almost a limit to who can actually see them or like access to them, which is why I enjoyed watching Hamilton when it was on Disney Plus. Same, you same. Know? It, it got a lot of, it was very fun to watch people critique that play because, yeah. you know, it became, everybody was talking about it, but also nobody had seen it. So, which was, which was kind of funny to think about. I remember looking at, uh, I, I went over there to a cafe in the whole Micah neighborhood and it was two mids that were leaving. And I was like, I think, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, Hamilton's a little overrated. I looked at it. I was like, I'm sure your screenplay is doing well. I'm sure everyone cares. Sure yeah. Everyone cares it, about your opinion. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like I'm not writing plates. Like, like no, there's a lot of work. So an early meeting with uh, Brad Pitt helped director uh, Barry Jenkins get the necessary funds to distribute in, in, in a distribu- distribution deal he required for the movie. So I, I didn't know that because Brad Pitt runs Plan B, right? That's his yes. production company. Um, and I like all of Plan B's movies. Um, they also are the production house for If Beale Street Could Talk mm-hmm. and um, – the Last Black Man in San Francisco, which is another one of my favorite uh, black masculinity films. So this this goes into the sort of closeness we were describing earlier within the cast and the crew. So um, budgetary constraints for the movie were such that the cast had to share one trailer for costume, hair and makeup and wasn't one restroom <laughs> to be shared oh by the cast and crew. Wow. That's <laughs> yeah, shooting for a budget for real. <laughs> <laughs> that, that Miami Heat, <laughs> yeah, for real. And one trailer, like they had the school trailer out there. That probably, like, like, bro, can you get out of the shower? I need that. I need to cool <laughs> off. Like, can you? Are you done yet? You know, like, I think this is why my Herschel is wearing a do rag for most of the movie. He's like, I'm not brushing this. This is exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I know I would. And so uh, this this aligns with one of the things we were talking about. This is sort of that. The beginning, right? So Mahershala won um, the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor um, for this film with less than 20 minutes of on-screen time. I mean, his role is so strong in this movie, even for step one. And what's wild about his character is that you feel his presence in the other two acts. Yep. Definitely in the third act because Black is playing a version of him. Yeah, it's almost, well, he almost becomes him at that point and even is like taking on this mentor role with his own, you know, dealers that he's overseeing. Yeah. Um, and we, I'm sure we'll talk about that relationship a bit more, but absolutely, it's, it's uh, wild. So this was filmed, as we touched on, um, over the course of 25 days in October and November of uh, 2015 in South Florida. Uh, let's see. 
Um, again, uh, Barry Jenkins was inspired by his own childhood in Miami, where he says he always was surrounded by very lush green and beautiful golden sunsets. Uh, he grew up in an awesome neighborhood with some very dark things happening. He feels as though his childhood was a beautiful struggle. That's a good way of putting it. I feel like a beautiful struggle is a great way of putting living in poverty. Yeah, because I think um, like, you know, I lived in the projects so and what have you. We never knew. We never knew that this is what yeah. a thing was. You know, we were able to get like pizza bowlies. My dad had a car and we, you know, we saw different things that were like, oh, as an adult, you kind of like contextualize it. And like, oh, oh, that's what I was seeing. That was a robbery. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or, my, or whatever. My mother and I talked about this um, one time. Her and she, I remember she posed a question to me. She's like, when did you realize that you grew up poor? And I was like, oh, oh, wow. I was like, I guess I never really thought about that. And she was like, she's like, it's a consciousness moment. And I was like, maybe when I got the Micah, like maybe when I started attending that and I was meeting people who like had more money than I could comprehend at the time or just like weren't thinking about things in the same vein that I was. Um, but I remember her just kind of posing that and be like, wait a minute, we're not all poor? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's not eating rice cakes and asparagus. <laughs> I mean, that's what I was eating. It was just frozen asparagus and maybe expired rice cakes. Who knows? It's, it's fine. It's fine. Where's that uh, Don dish soap? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so, um, and I know we're going to have ours a little bit later, but apparently Barry Jenkins' favorite scene in this film was the was an impromptu sequence of Paula uh, staring straight at the camera um, into an overcranked um, at 400 FPS, uh, so frames per second, um, and it was that last minute decision to specifically engage with the audience and have Paula's character do that, and I think they show it twice. Yes, I do remember that. They sh- That's like their scene transition. Uh, shot. I like that shot a lot. Let's see. Uh, the song that plays in the diner, Hello Stranger by Barbara Lewis. Um, so Barry Jenkins made the decision to uh, to actually play the song on the jukebox while they were filming. So it was in the background while they were actually filming, setting that sort of mood. Nice. Okay. I can see that. Because a lot of times you have something that goes in the back. It's like you're already... You know, with the advent of more and more green screen and, and things of that nature or, or you know, post-production sort of uh, tactics that it's like less stuff that you're interacting with. And it's like, yeah, dance. It's like, I, can I get a song? <laughs> can I get something? <laughs> Eat. Exactly. It's like, ah, it's just this. Uh, I'll put the I'll put it in context. There, there was a movie. It's not good. It's not in this sort of class. But I think it was a fall from grace. And I just remember uh, it's it's a Tyler Perry movie. And I just remember watching it. And uh, it's so many funny things that happen in it. Like Makad Brooks just goes, goes, goes hard. And literally he's wearing a hot top fade. And he's like, ashtray, bitch. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> and there's a scene in a diner in it where it's a guy, he's in the shot. He's eating from a plate that has no food in it. Yeah. And it keeps showing him. And I was like. And I'm watching our partner. I was like, yo, can you pause it right here? Because we, we do this thing where if we're watching a movie, we count like like it's, it's, hot, it's, a, it's, it's soccer, it's football. It's like, all right, how much like stoppage play have we had? Like if this two hour movie takes us three hours to watch, it has to be a bad movie. We've had, a you know, half of the time Ooh. we've stopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do That's that. That's a fun game. OK. <laughs> and we look at the number of production companies or writers. 
Yeah, yeah, we, we do that too. Um, <laughs> definitely looking at the number of production companies is a, a good one to take a look at. I ha- I've never done the stoppage counter. You should do that. It's, it's fun. It's very fun. I think at a point um, when I was watching, uh, what is it, uh, Malignant, I was like, can we pause it real quick? I think we were at our like, fifth or sixth pause, and we were the first 20 minutes. That was me I, watching Barbarian. We, we all talk, we'll be talking about that. Uh, <laughs> I, I had this sort of realization that kind of like washed over me. I was like, oh, this is just a bad movie. And I was able to enjoy it from that point on because <laughs> I was really like, so I hear this is good. Let's figure it out. I was like, oh, this is shit. Oh, got it. Going into a movie, like knowing that it's probably bad, is always a very rewarding experience because there's like mm-hmm. less expectation. Yeah. Uh, so the the light flashes, and I and I kind of noticed this yesterday because this is I think maybe the second time I've only seen it in the movie twice, um, but I, I tend to remember movies really well. Uh, the light flashes and the transitions between chapters are actually an out of focus digital time code. Um, from the camera slate during filming the actors was uh, sprayed with oil so their skin would uh, shine on the camera and the crew would hold this running slate against the lenses to protect them from the sprays and uh, Barry Jenkins wanted to keep that code in because he thought it was a good effect that is really cool I love like uh, analog effects like that I I couldn't even figure that out you know because I was like (laughs) why is this in there because I was looking I was like is, is this something that is like really too in focus? Are we really up on something? And to give you some extra context, I was watching, um, cause I was doing another review. I was watching this, um, after I watched CB4, cause I'm doing a review on CB4, oh, <laughs> two very okay. different movies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So producer uh, Dee Dee Gardner is the first woman to win an Academy Award for Best Picture. Or her first um, uh, was uh, the 12, was Twelve Years a Slave in 2013. Mm, okay, yeah, that's I've only seen that movie once. That's all. Uh, I, I, ref, I, ref, I refuse. Uh, <laughs> that's a that's a hard movie. That's a one and done movie right there. Because I mean, isn't Magneto like a slave owner or something? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> isn't that what's happening? Am I bugging? <laughs> I call actors by their Marvel characters. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> uh, Moonlight has a very diverse score um, with music ranging from orchestral to uh, chopped and screwed. Um, and that's a big shout out to uh, Nicholas Brattel, who's the composer who decided to uh, chop and screw the orchestra to create a unique sound. So it's chopped and screwed orchestral music in this movie. That is really cool. I think it also speaks to the culture and where they are as well. Um, where they're shooting. Uh, I was, I noticed that on my second watch. I was just like, oh, this is, because they would play the orchestra, especially like in transitions. And then in scenes where they're not transitioning, it would be chopped and screwed. This is the uh, first LBGTQIX, it's a lot of other letters. They only have four in here, the LBGT um, film, uh, and uh, a film featuring all black cast who won an Academy Award for Best Picture. Uh, Mahershala is the first person of Muslim face to win an Academy Award for acting. Hmm. Um, so Naomi Harris is very uh, reluctant to play a crack addict in this movie. Um, she always has this sort of uh, teeter-telling um, persona. And so this was like kind of playing against type for her. She's like, all right, I had to look at some. <laughs> in preparation, she spent a month researching the lives of drug addicts by watching videos on YouTube. Oh my god! What a depressing rabbit hole. I mean, it's it is really rough to watch her character deteriorate between all three acts. Uh, yes. When you first see her, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, she's just a mom that's not around. Maybe she worked a double, and then it's like, oh, you suck. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. It. You're like, oh, like this isn't like this isn't going where I think it's going. I think you're going to know this one. I think you're going to know this one. This is not even like this is when it when you find out this is what this character's name actually means. You're like, oh, OK, yeah, that makes sense. So Sharon is the name of a centaur in Greek mythology known as the wounded healer. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I knew I, I heard the name somewhere, but I did not know that it was of Greek origin. Um, have to look deeper into that. I like that. Because then it almost does this thing of because, you know, like, like, you know, Robert Christopher is, is these are kind of like, oh, these are non these are kind of like regular like just like just regular names, I guess, or non uh, ethnically coded names. And initially upon watching, I was like, that's that's a that's a black name. Right. That's a, and it's like, no, actually, it's a Greek name. And it shows maybe sort of that overlap that I've played the resume game before. I'll just say that. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was like all right, well, what is my, my brother's name is a lot different from mine. That Antoine is spelled very black. And I'm like, all right. So, yeah, I have a very uh, white passing name for sure. Like very imbi- Americanly ambiguous. Um, I was looking <laughs> like you. <laughs> but it, sometimes they look at that middle name. Sometimes it's like, hmm, Jamarcus. And like, I don't know about that. <laughs> Like James, huh? (laughs) James who? It's like, yeah, they got people named Tyrone. It's fine. Yeah, Um, exactly. (laughs) So uh, let's see. There is a a song because there's some music cues in this movie. Um, And I think there are several good. It's a good use of music in this movie. There is an Aretha Franklin song called One Step Ahead that plays twice in the film. The first act, it is um, in the classroom. Um, um, Classroom after Sharon gets um, home from the um, the swimming lesson. Also, you can hear it in the diner on on the jukebox in the third act. I, I love that. I uh, I was thinking about that song because um, it's it's pretty popular sample too. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The this is the second film to be officially screened at the National Museum of African American History and Culture when it opened in D.C. and, t- and uh, this was in September of 2016. What was film? the first film? <laughs> I, know, I, I, I like how we both know. <laughs> It's like, mm, I don't know. I don't know, guys. <laughs> what did y'all choose? It's like, The Wiz. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> so this this again goes to your, your bullet point about um, kind of where Mahershal was at in this sort of ascent. And this was part of the Best Picture Showcase as well for me. Both Mahershala and Janelle A both were in Hidden Figures as well. Yes. Yeah, the same yeah. year. Um, the so. same year. That was a good, good movie rollout. Mm-hmm. And it's like their roles in terms of size were <laughs> kind of flipped. Yeah, yeah like, they really like, like her role is smaller in in uh, in uh, Moonlight, but it's still I think an integral role, and she's around for more than one act. Um, <laughs> 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 Let's see. Um, so Barry Jenkins started writing the screenplay for this movie in Brussels at a bar called Lord Byron. Uh, in the, the this is the first Academy Award Best Picture winner for a black filmmaker who directed and wrote a screenplay. Wrote the screenplay. Let's see, and it was the 89th Academy Awards. Do, do we want to talk about that like right now? Do we want to just kind of wedge into that right now? Like the we, sort we of, can uh, wedge into it. Yeah, we yeah. can get into it because I, I was watching it live when it happened. It's my family, Maman, Papa, Jeff, homage, vous adore, Matt Pluff. You kicked this off, and Damien Chazelle, we're standing on your shoulders. We lost, by the way, but, you know. I'm sorry. No. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. Moonlight won. This is not a joke. This is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. 
This is not a joke. Moonlight has won Best Picture. So I was watching it live, and um, so we do the whole. So it, this is like this is March Madness for us in some regards. It's like yes, that's absolutely. The, <laughs> so we do the Best Picture Showcase, and it's like all right, let's get to this point. So we're watching it, and I've been making fun of La La Land the entire night with my jazz hands, and then we get to <laughs> it, and. I'm like I'm very much caught on because I I I, am, I observe I'm very much caught on like what's happening here, and I think this is around that point I don't know if this was before or after the whole Oscar so white thing was going on and all of that and I remember they make the announcement and I was like what is all of this going on in the background and my girl's like what she walks away she's like this is bullshit I can't believe it La La Land this is bullshit jazz is dead it was something like that she was just <laughs> she was just going left she's like I'm drinking some more wine. And I was like, no, 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 come back, come back, come back. And she was like, why are they talking? And why does Warren Beatty look confused? I was like, well, I don't know. Maybe he thinks he's still in Dick Tracy. I don't know. But <laughs> and then when they, they make the announcement, I, st- I still think it was a little short shrift because it's, it's just it's just bad. That was a bad sort of, you know, flub, if you will. Um, what, what was your take on that? And tell me about I- your experience there. I thought it was wild because everybody was very confused on the stage. Um, and then the cast more like barely got to get on stage to say anything. Right. They didn't get to actually like give any speeches and like kind of dive in. And like somebody else had to come. It was almost like they weren't trying to say it at first. And then somebody like took, because somebody took, if I remember correctly, somebody took the, the prompt. Somebody mm-hmm. else had it and took the prompt and had the right one. And it, was talking about they they like came up and announced it and then did the whole switcheroo but then they didn't give them the time that they needed but i thought it was very funny i thought it was first i thought there was a lot of dark humor in that i didn't read it like as being racist truthfully um because i was just like this the oscars are for people that watch a lot of movies all right so like this this won't be a defining black moment until like three months from now (laughs) we can like all like access this movie and actually see it for ourselves but um it was nice to kind of see it come to fruition i um i watched la la land you know what i even like la la land i don't even mind you know i (laughs) It's, you know, I, I hate to say it. The movie, I like the way it's shot. It's got some other problems. Uh, but um, I can't, I, I like, what's his name? Damien. Cazal? Uh, yeah, Damien Cazal, yeah. the, the director. I like his movie. So, like, he got me with La La Land. But I did think that Moonlight was a much better movie at the time that it came out. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it didn't get its due. It didn't get its shine. And I think people just kind of brushed it off. And um, I think it was necessary for people to see that this is one, an independent film that mm-hmm. won. Um, it was a huge win for production houses like 824 and Plan B um, in an era where we have a lot of just like, you know, we have a lot of manufactured like films. I, half the stuff that comes out is either comic related or like series related. We don't have like a lot of original content in theaters mm-hmm. anymore. So it was very important to kind of see like, a first-time director covering a very, like, not niche topic, but a specific topic within a minority um, background. And so, you know, it was, like, very sensitive overall. And I thought that it was very bold for it to have won and almost unexpected. I think the unexpected was just, you know, our tolerance at the time and also just 
how people were um, managing like their expectations as well, thinking about it as like automatically going in that a black film wouldn't get this kind of accolade or nomination and it cleaned up it got yeah. quite a few awards and nominations in that circuit and you know i hadn't watched it until we were prepping for their show but i remember seeing it in theaters and then we were my second time i was like damn this is a good movie like yeah and, th- and this is this is barry jenkins second movie this is um the first one was a uh, medicine for melancholy which was from 2008 yeah. So this is his first one in about eight years. So it was a, you know, dude that's not really known for directing, you know, kind of just crushing it. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I'll say and maybe, you know, it's very old. It's very, you know, a lot of the things that have happened in that sort of circuit, the Academy Awards is very old and dated. And we've had some moments most recently where uh and, and and I think when someone's moment, because we care about moments for whatever reason, I don't know why. I kind of prefer the Prince thing of I don't do it for awards or what have you. Yeah. Um, I, I think if that's what we're doing, if we have to care, if we have to care about like Taylor Swift not getting her moment, then maybe we do the following year where <laughs> this is where we botched it last year. So like in the 2017 uh, for the. the for 2017 man in the beginning it's like yo look here's the full cast from you know moonlight mm-hmm. here's they got five minutes here do you you know drop your mic or whatever and you know maybe quest love should get that in the next one because his thing was definitely you know stepped on with a you know slapped on if you will i i agree so i got i got two more um i got two more bullet points here um that i, w- I thought they were very interesting so Despite the character supposed to being the same age, Andre Holland, who plays adult Kevin, and Travante um, Rhodes, who plays adult uh, Black, he's Black at this moment, they're 10 years apart in age. And you can kind of see some of those fine lines creeping out of, uh, <laughs> I was like, I was like, jail was hard on you, wasn't it, bro? They're supposed to be the same age? Yeah. Like, like actual actor-wise? Like in mm-hmm. real life? Yeah, the, wow. yeah, yeah. They're, because uh, I think when we see the movie, so if this was 10 years... Because I was, I got to do that math. They're supposed to be twenty eight. Oh, whoa! I've been twenty eight. Because <laughs> if you look at it, like it's over the course of fifteen years, and we, yeah. we're running into little, and he's like twelve, thirteen. I mean, that's that Florida sun right there, you know. Yo, <laughs> that's that HGH that Black was on. I was like, sir, less, yeah, less creatine, you know, brother. That's why we got. That's why people in the black community got to wear sunscreen. All right. Stop. You know? <laughs> So this is this is the last one. This is the last one, and I thought this was great because I, you know, I, I love action movies. So, mm-hmm. uh, both Mahershala Ali and Travante Rhodes are featured in the Predator film franchise. Ali it appears in Predators from 2010. Who he's great. He's 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 like I think he's like um, in a massage or something. Got that. And uh, Rhodes is in the Predator, which is not so great, and it's it's just a bad movie. But he's in it, so there you go. Both of them have been in Predator <laughs> franchise. They uh, they need to find a way to like link, you know, do a little continuity, see how they can like include the men, but they won't. It just it's, it's almost like when in the Star Wars like sort of reboots uh, or whatever that was that uh, Finn <laughs> is a toy that came out as like Finn Calderissian. I was like, hold up. Let's let's yeah. not. Every black person in you know a far far galaxy from here can't be related. Can't so. 
<laughs> so I want to I want to go into this part here, and this is kind of the the back and the more of analysis side of things. I want to talk about um, impact of the movie, which we kind of touched on a little bit, and some of the themes that are there, um, some observations, um, favorite scenes, and you know, kind of like final thoughts, MVP, things of that nature. So I want to start it off with um, themes and impact. Um, what what are your takes on this movie, and you know, the last five to to six years, like you know, how is this like shaped? You know how we kind of talk about black masculinity, the intersection between blackness, masculinity, vulnerability, and even this theme of water, which is in there. And we talked about a little bit with uh, the swimming lesson. Why you always let people pick on you, man? What you mean? You always let them pick on you. So, what I gotta do? All you gotta do? Show these niggas you ain't soft. But I ain't soft. I know, I know. But it don't mean nothing if they don't know. Come on. You want these fools to pick on you every day? You know, I think it's real. it was a good entryway into black identity and especially exploring um, the complexity of masculinity. And it kind of just, it's critique of like toxic masculinity, I thought was interesting. Like there's all these expectations that men shouldn't do certain things. There is a, there's the scene where Kevin, teenage Kevin and teenage um sharon are, are talking on the beach and they're sharing a blunt and they you know kevin's like they talk about crying you know yeah and kevin's like i don't cry you think i have time to cry like like trying to play it tough and sharon opens up and he's just like i cry all the time like yeah. and so how he relates that to how he wish he could just like wash away like how he would just turn into tears if he could and I thought that was interesting and specifically like it's not the writing isn't from a perspective where it's trying to like diminish or destroy like what it is to be heterosexual right it's just comp it's observing like the lack of safety in, in yeah. masculinity you know and how people how boys or black men have to be strong and they have to be these adult figures, even when they're not ready to be adults. Like Sharon never really gets to be a kid. Like we see him playing with the other boys, but he dreads having to go back home because that's when he has to be an adult. That's when he has to like take care of his mother or get told to go somewhere else. Um, But like there, there are very few moments even in, teenage years where he gets to like just be a teenager we don't actually see him hang out with anybody other than kevin and even when he is hanging with kevin it's like you know we see him talk the most with him barely even Teresa, um which is also interesting to think about there and we we have this sort of like like you were touching on like in each one of these instances i think there's this sort of duality where you can kind of open up a little bit. You know, he can open up around Kevin. He can open up around Teresa. But on the backside of it with Kevin, there's the bullies that are there, Terrell and all of that. And then you have mm-hmm. um, going home, you know, have you. It's like, how are you safest with a guy that always has a gun on him? You know what I mean? And it's 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 a thing. And I think this sort of sage-like advice, I think, that comes from an unlikely source and being someone that is a dope dealer and having what comes with it. And I thought, you know, sort of this scene, right? You talk about crying, right? That Mahershala is like in tears actually when he has to tell him like, oh yeah, I, yeah, I'm selling them drugs. That's one of my 
I think that yeah. is probably my favorite scene in the movie, and that really captures Mahershala's ability to to act in that role, where we see Mahershala dealing with his own duality and identity, both becoming the caretaker for Sharon, but also destroying his own family because like he is supplying his mother with drugs and also Juan Juan Mahershala's character acknowledging that like he is sorry that he is at fault for at some points the life that Sharon is forced to live and him come crying and coming to tears of that is him knowing that he's at fault. He doesn't try to like play it off. He doesn't try to hide his like his guilt or his emotions there. And I think that's a great, you know, overview of like what a relationship between an adult and a child could be. Like the adult showing that they are at fault, showing that they are vulnerable to children and what it shows to be vulnerable where you're put in these positions of being questioned and knowing that like you are at fault for those things. And I think it shows something that's rare in black communities where there is a equal level between parent and child and not so much the ownership of parent and child where we see Sharon's mother owning him. Like, you know, anytime he has, yeah, yeah. You mind. It's like, I'm your mother. Like you're going to do what I say. You have money on you, Paul. Uh, Teresa gave you money. That's my money now. Like these, these things that I have seen not in my own life, but I've observed in like you know growing up with people and seeing this kind of for, forced adulthood expectation. And it's interesting that they would use a dope dealer to show vulnerability in that yeah. way. And I, I, I love his character for that. Yeah, I, I, I think you know. When I start thinking about this this movie and upon rewatching it, I the the first act is probably my favorite because Same. of that because you get a lot of that in there and it's not to diminish from it but it's more and more closer to because I, I think it's seeing it as an adult you know what I mean like oh no no th- I, I've I've been to this part of the being a kid is so far removed and not having that. You know, that sort of experience, it felt more like fiction. And it's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, the sort of role that Juan is playing. I've been in that spot before. Now as an adult, I've never had I've never been in the little spot. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, it's it's really interesting to see to see that. And using him almost as an avatar to kind of switch out some of these things like water is a big thing. Right. And the whole swimming lesson and using him as the vehicle to do that because you know black people don't swim we don't swim at all we, yeah, we don't yeah. touch the water you know <laughs> I, don't, human, I don't know how to swim by the way. I, I don't know how to swim at all and it's you I always look us up. yeah for real like what I gotta do <laughs> um, but yeah I was like you know it's, it's fun to kind of see that because many a friend have tried to teach me how to swim but I'm like damn do I not trust anybody to teach me how to swim like there's that moment of trust it's like, just put your head, you know, in my hand, brother. It's like, I ain't doing all that. I ain't doing all that. Just, like, you good. <laughs> I just, I, I, I just, like, I'm, like, I'm six four. I like, I'll just, I'll just stand up in the water. That's cool, right? No, yeah, exactly. I, you know, do that thing where your hands are down uh, in the water. <laughs> you're like pretending yeah, yeah. you're swimming, but you're only in the shallow end. It's like you are just walking. You are Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're just doing your crab walk in the water at that point. Have you have you ever run into this sort of? 
because I, I know I've gotten it. Um, you don't want to be perceived as soft because you're going to get bullied more. Like, you know, that, that sort of conversation that happens earlier in the movie. And, you know, there's a lot going on in that scene. Um, but still, I think that sentiment is is there. And I just remember having those instances where getting getting sort of like bullied or what have you, because it's like I was always a big kid, but I was the one that stood out. So yeah, it's like, same. oh, let's pick on this guy and let's see if he's soft or not. And, you know, it's 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 definitely a conversation and a consideration that happens. I think it's it's interesting because there were moments in my childhood where I would definitely pretend to be much stronger or like kind of give off offense that I'm like aggressive than I really was. Um, and I think that kind of just came with like the expectations of boys. Like we all heard the term, my boys don't cry, and, like keep your chin up and things like that. Um, Stiff upper lip. <laughs> it's, yeah, no, it's, just British. it's just British. It's just British. It's fine. It's fine. It's, <laughs> It's hard, though. Like, I, I don't think I had many family figures that would say stuff like that to me. Um, but I definitely can think about the transition when people were starting to, like, think about, like, how men should be perceived or, like, men should, like, you know, begin to open up. And it's kind of probably around in my early 20s when I started to see that, like, the early 2010s where I was just thinking about what was expected of me, you know, like being okay to start to open up. And I, I think a lot of those early, like forced, um, close offs and like this forced pretending of like being strong has kind of affected a lot of communication, at least in black communities. And like, even in myself, I struggle to communicate how I feel at times. Cause sometimes there is the perceived notion that I got to just see it through and that I don't have the time to process those feelings. And like Chiron, even in this, like, in Act Two, after he gets after they do the stand up knockdown uh, game, and yeah. he goes home and he puts his face in the ice in the ice bath, and like he looks at himself and it's like he's not even crying anymore. He's just like he's just has to see it through. He already has another goal in mind, and we know what that goal is for what the follow up is. But like I, he doesn't speak at all. You know exactly what he's saying. Like yeah. There's not any moment in this movie where he is crying by himself. There are a few, few times yeah. where he starts to tear up, but we never see little, at least in Act 1, cry. We barely see him cry in Act 2. Um, yeah. And it's not until Act 3 that we even see that he sheds a tear. Yeah, because it's, it's sort of like this, this line that he said, and I think a lot of us run into that where we build ourselves back up harder Mm -hmm. Once we have one of those sort of breaking moments and it's like you're restoring the foundation in some regards. And it's at a point where it's like the uh, thing my therapist used to tell me, the the pressure cooker. It's like there's steam that comes out, but eventually it's going to boil over. And I think what we're we're getting there at a certain point is it's boiling over. But it is this sort of point where we get a lot of those payoffs in that third act. And we're going to go back into that in a moment. so I'm going to talk about some observations real quick, and, and, mm-hmm. and this was, I think, definitely good. Um, so I think I think this movie is has a certain visual language that looks really good. They they shoot black folk well, which yes. I think is one of those things of <laughs> when you you have black folks involved in the cinematography and the shooting and sort of how we're directing things, you get those different shades. You don't just get, you know, 
just wow this everyone looks like the everyone <laughs> looks like lead everyone yeah. is, is the color <laughs> of my beard it's like what is this and i like just unlockable so fighting game characters you know just like yes. that silhouette of like choose your black fighter like at this like, why point why is that noob sabat <laughs> like why is yeah. this <laughs> um I, I think um, one confessing again, going back to that. What you doing here? Detention, man. Names call me with this trick in the stairway. Damn. Yeah. Who? Damn, you nosy nigga. <laughs> nah, I'm playing, yo. And, and you know, you were you were very spot on. It's like I think I look at him as almost this enlightened uncle, and it was very, you know, very that just great acting, and it was it was sad. It, it was sad, and. You know, not having to see it, but I think that was just a point. It wasn't like this is kind of the end, and you know that's the last time we see a Juan. Juan is referenced a couple of times, but that's the last time we see him. But it doesn't mean that's the last time that they interacted. You know, because it's not exactly. Like, yeah, and um, a boy Kevin is a wild boy. You know, there's one scene every, every time that he's talking, I'm like. You are ridiculous. Yeah, I was thinking this shorty's back. I just want to see it. I was like, hold up. I was like, run that back. And Yo, yes. I mean, I, I I did this thing, right? I did this mm -hmm. thing, and I just remember when I watched it. Like I said, I've only seen it twice, and upon rewatching it, I laughed at the same part I laughed at when I first saw it. So I knew it was still effective. I'm going to ask you, which part was I laughing at? Was it, it has to first, do with Kevin? Was it the first dream? <laughs> It, it may have been the beach. Uh, oh, oh, was the beach scene? Oh. Well, a, a, after, after the beach scene, when he tries to daff him up, he looks at his hand and then daffs uh -huh. him up. I start laughing so hard. I'm like, yo, you're still a dude. You're like, hey, you can use the other hand, bro. Like, what's yes, yes. That's yours, brother. <laughs> That's funny because I was looking at that scene again, um, and I was—I didn't catch that the first time, but I caught it the second. And I, I could just tell that they were like taken back into the moment, but taken out. Um, but I, I thought you were talking about the dream when, like, Kevin tells him at school about he's blowing oh shorty's back yeah, yeah. out. That he has the dream about him doing it, like the sex dream. He was like, "You good, black?" Uh, uh, no, that's actually great. I was like, "Yo, can you can you do something different? Can you can you be a different person for like five seconds?" But yeah, that that car scene is uh, hilarious. Um. <laughs> so so I want to I want to go into. Um, uh, favorite scenes, unless you had any observations you wanted to throw in there real quick. But uh, if not, um, we can go into these favorite scenes. Um, yeah, let's get into the favorite scenes. And I'll probably I'll probably talk on a couple observations too. Okay. Um, my, I think my my favorite scenes are the swimming scene. Hey, let your head rest in my hand. Relax. I got you. I promise. I'm not gonna let you go. Hey man, I got you. There you go. Ten seconds. Right there, you're in the middle of the world. I think it's both of these scenes are together. I think it's Paula Juan confronting Paula and then him admitting to selling drugs to her. Motherfucker, don't give me that. You gotta get it from somewhere, shit, nigga. I'm getting it from you. But you gonna raise my son though, right? Hmm. You ever see the way he was? One. We watching damn mouth. <laughs> yeah, that's... she was. She was on one. 
literally. That that scene, yeah, she was all one literally. Like when, and it's interesting because he already knows her car. And the thing is, before we even get to this scene, Juan already knows who she is, mm-hmm. and like he almost doesn't know what to do. And I can tell that he's trying to almost have conversations with her, but she's shutting him off because like she doesn't want Sharon to know they have a relationship. And that scene is very funny when she's like, what do you want to do? Raise my son. And it's just like, you see the way he walks like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. And that, that scene was crazy because it ends up tying to that final scene where he's like telling him to keep his head up. Don't let nobody call you that, that slur. Yeah. And like, it's interesting because his, his mother doesn't even support him. You yeah. know, this, this boy is barely 10 years old and <laughs> like your mom is already like, my son's gay and like she's using a top tier slur she's using the top tier slur yeah yeah i like when uh when juan is like nah nah well what it is is and then he's going it's going well and then teresa's like "Ah, kind of stop right right yeah it's like teresa's like unless you into that unless you like he's like she's like nah uh i well i love revenge so obviously when tarot has a seat as it were <laughs> I'm like <laughs> yes <laughs> I'm like yeah, yeah, I, get him out of here <laughs> I'm glad they rewarded the, the viewer with that because that's very much what teenagers would do you know, like that kind of built up that. rage, that aggression, like not knowing how to take those feelings out and like that, uh, how aggression builds up, I thought was a good way of how to uh, show that. Um, I particularly also like the fight scene because even though Terrell has no idea that like Sharon and Kevin have this relationship, yep. um, Kevin is forced to hide himself. Yep. You know, but Chiron, who, you know, is following Juan's advice, is present. He's visible. He's not backing down. His head is held high. Um, and he's just taking all of these hits, you know, and he's he's defending himself in a way that is kind of multi-layered. Like he's defending himself in his sexuality. He's defending himself in his confidence um, as a person. And also, like, he's fighting for what he believes in, which I think is a a beautiful scene. And, um, yeah, not being soft and even echoing what I think happens in that prior, I think it's the prior scene where he goes over to Reese's house because he gets kicked out. And she's like, no, no, we, you know, we keep our heads held high here at this house, at this table. Yeah. 100%. 100%. And it's those elements of Juan that stick with you throughout the yeah. whole movie, even in Act 2 with that scene. And even in Act 3, when, you know, Chiron basically becomes Juan at that point. Um, another Juan one of origins. my... Yeah, yeah, Juan origins. <laughs> the, uh, speaking of Act 3, my favorite scene that probably, that almost made me cry... Um, was the scene where he visits his mother at the rehabilitation center. I have that one. Yeah, yeah. I love you, Sharon. I do. I love you, baby. I mean, you ain't got to love me. Lord knows I did not have love for you when you needed it. I know that. 
And man, that scene is rough. Like I think I took I took a couple notes on that. Um, and it's wild to watch like a parent understand how their actions have like destroyed a relationship with their children. It's another thing to see like a parent apologize for that. And her line when she's like she still has love for him even though he doesn't love her is yeah. like that's like deep. That's some serious like good writing and the way that she's acting it out and this is the only time that we see one of the few times that we see Sharon cry and it's just like a silent tear you know because he, he can't look at her because he goes um he does the thing that I've done a little bit where it's like oh I'm gonna react real quick and it's like yeah, what, you gonna, what you what you gonna do for me I was like oh oh that sounds familiar <laughs> when he gets something he like raises us like huh? it's like yes you're doing the thing <laughs> <laughs> you're doing the thing <laughs> but but I, but I think it, it shows um and as far as like watching it from a critical lens, it, it shows like this is how they were able to shoot and maximize uh, Naomi Harris being on set because she's only interacting with like each actor at different stages. She's acting briefly with Mahershala and um, the Alex, Alex Hibbert. Um, and then she's acting with each Sharon at different ages or what have you. So it's like, let me get my scene with Travante. Let me get my scene with Ashton Saunders. And then let's 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 keep it rolling. It's interesting that she is also the only character that interacts with her on at all three acts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was nice that they show his mother at that stage where she's like, tr- she's trying to get better, but also she knows that she, her health is, is poor and like they could have killed her off screen, but I don't think it would have yeah. had the same effect as Juan dying off screen. Yeah. Like, we kind of needed to see that older child-parent relationship to kind of show that, like, relationships evolve over time. And that it is difficult to, you know, balance the the love you may have, the love you may or may not have for a parent, and just how you see them in your life as well. Yeah. Um, let's see. I got, I got really two more things, and then we got that final verdict. All right. So, yeah. Uh, let's see. So, who's the MVP of this movie? And make make your case, if you will. Ooh, MVP of this movie. Um, is it A twenty four? Is it uh, <laughs> <laughs> is it Mahershala? Oh, is it Barry Jenkins? You know, I think it is. Um, I'll have to say Barry Jenkins and probably, you know, A24 on this and Plan B because this is a story that probably otherwise would not have gotten picked up by anybody. Like, no bigger house would have made this film. Um, I think it was also very bold and also empowering of Barry Jenkins, who is a heterosexual man, to make this Mm -hmm. movie. Um, and also not put too much of his own commentary into like what he feels, um, his stance at least on on sexuality. Um, and I do find that that is that is like very telling, you know, of, of allyship without having to say I'm an ally, um, because he's telling stories that wouldn't be told otherwise. Um, and so with Moonlight being made and having written that, like we can get additional stories that continue to be explored in this particular area of black identity. Um, so I would definitely say like, if I'm looking at like a who made the movie perspective character wise, 
probably Juan for me is MVP character in the movie. Um, he's a very complex character who's only on screen for 20 minutes and we barely know his life. We, but we know that he's a man of compassion. We know he's a complex individual. He's a very gray area, gray area character. And I like when people explore the gray in characters and in television and movies, because it's a real reflection of real life. Typically like, Juan knows what he's doing is bad, but Juan also still sees the good in people. Yeah. I, and like, I've like, it's it, for me, it's Marshall. Yeah. And, um, I definitely, I, I, I think your, your, your positions on each one have that, that credence and mm-hmm. I definitely 100% on it, but I, I think it's Marshall for me. It's part of this really strong run in 2016. He was in six movies. Um, then, yeah, you know, my man was killing it. And then, you know, you get, you know, him and Roxanne, Roxanne in 17, then green book, he gets best supporting actor again. Um, and, and that, and that movie has its problems, but you know, I think it got some weird hate more than it's just a bad movie. Um, just some voiceover work for into the spider verse, Alita battle angel. And it's like, yo, you got blade in this time as well. It's like, you're the guy in this one for being a guy that was a rapper, you know, at one point. And, I didn't uh, even know that. Yeah, yeah. He has two albums from 2006 and 2007. Oh my God. All right. I'm going to have to do like a Mahershala deep dive. And he's a fellow, um, you know, he's a fellow Aquarius too. So I got to, you know, Okay. Yes. Welcome to the tribe. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the last question I got for you. Um, Okay. What is the future of Kevin and Black? Because that's where we kind of end at in this movie. Are they together? Is it like, you know, we kind of resolve what this is? Because in theory, the last time that we saw them was my man was getting arrested. You know what I mean? And, you know, then it's been 10 years and my man is HGH'd out. You know, he's using that TRT. <laughs> so, you know, you know, what is it? You know, what we got there? I, I, I like that ending a lot because it shows that Kevin is, is sorry. Kevin has regret. You know, yeah. Kevin has probably had grief from how their relationship ended. And it really just captures closure. You know, I don't even know if it's so much about did they stay together versus were they able to heal wounds from each other? And was there an acceptance of closure from that? Um, Does he start trapping in Miami? <laughs> I know. Is he just going to start cooking? Like, Kevin will make the edibles in the back at oh. the restaurant? Like... I got this new crack. <laughs> now that would be, be amazing. But I like, he, I like how he told him. He's like, yeah, you're the only person that's ever touched me. And I was like, oh. I was like, all right. Like, uh, yeah. That was yeah. like a very like intimate moment. And I think it's also interesting because, you know, Kevin is the – Kevin has like really known Sharon at this intimate level. Yeah. And so it's hard to say. And I like that this movie doesn't have a sequel and it doesn't look to continue to explore this relationship and – I think it shows the complexity of relationships, whether you are straight or gay um, or even like where you fall on the spectrum. I think it shows that like love is complex. I mean, sunlight too has gotten, got, sunlight's gotten greenlit. So it's, it's fine. It's coming, coming soon. Oh, for real? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that would be amazing. It's just like, you know how you did out before sunlight. sunset? <laughs> sunlight. <laughs> It didn't, it didn't, you know, Juan is alive because he's Blade, right? But he dies oh in it because God. he's also a vampire. Sorry, sorry. That is ridiculous. 
that is ridiculous. Not the goddamn Moonlight Marvel continuity film. Like, what's we, that? We gotta, we gotta the make it end credits are, are Kevin, like, <laughs> opening up a shop in Wakanda or something. He's like, you just hear his voice, like, in the Eternals. Hey, I didn't touch that if I was you. It was like his, dr- his drug box. Yeah, exactly. yeah, we put Juan's ashes in here. We didn't dump him out in the sea near Cuba. We <laughs> we put him in here, and now he's making up the next strand. I don't know. I can't agree. Somebody like, comes in and is like, I'm looking for black. <laughs> I want to tell him about the Miami 305 initiative. Oh, my God. That's chaotic. I love it. That's <laughs> <laughs> really stupid. I know. So uh, so here, here's the last thing. Um Final verdict uh, on on your scale on the uh, CJC scale, if you will. Ooh. What would you give this movie out of you know? What's your scale and would you give this movie? All right, you know what? I'm gonna give it a scale out of five. Um, sure. Out of five, I'm gonna say for me it's four and a half. I yeah. think it, it gets a pretty high rating. Um, I think it's an important film in the like black masculinity. Uh, identity if I had to recommend films for people to watch to just understand context without actually being spoken to perfect for that Um, it's shot beautifully it's shot without having too much emphasis on like CGI or like putting the budget or behind the camera and it really dives into um, it really dives into trauma without being trauma porn which I, I I appreciate because sometimes black stories can fall in this area where like are we shooting this to kind of speak on something or are we shooting this to just kind of show the visuals that this is bad which I we, think we a do. lot of there's a lot of that that kind of goes on at the moment we almost have that you know overdoing that sort of resilience thing that's there and I, I'm on the same page I, I agree with you I think um I think I have a penchant and in, in an appreciation for um, movies that sort of feel like plays. And I think yes. that there is a space that this could be adapted into a play. And I think that that should probably happen. Um, I definitely is, is probably about a four to 4.5. And I, like I said, I, I usually don't watch, it's rare that I watch movies twice, especially movies that are about two hours. It's, it's, it's a challenge for me. I'm looking for, <laughs> I'm looking for how can I trim out the credits to not make this feel like a two hour movie? Um, <laughs> that's, it's yeah. like, all right, credits are about five to seven minutes. So it's like, all right, unless it's done in the seventies and you're literally getting a two hour movie. But um, yeah, I, I think that that works. And it, some, some of the, some of that third part diet, that third act dialogue is not good. I was like, no, this is two people trying to reconnect on it. And it's almost like I was waiting for someone to say lit. And I was like, you both are old. Let's not. <laughs> I but, can see but that the, with the third the, act. The movie is good, though. The movie is good. And I kind of wanted that chef's, that chef special. You know, kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely, I'm into Cuban food, yo. Make, make the beans, beans with care. You make sure that the rice is on their own point. You know, getting that jail uh, culinary degree. Let's do it. I, um, I almost expected more from Kevin in the third act, you know, because we had been with Chiron for so long. And it was like, oh, well, Kevin's back. Like, we're going to, like, really dive into this character. And then we don't really dive that deep into him. Like, yeah. a little bit. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I agree. And, you know, other than I'm a dad now and uh, it's kind of like, you know, sort of that I got the things that I was told I wanted. That's what I kind of took out of his story. Yeah. And um, and I didn't really want those things. I think they tried to give us a lot, but it's 
but it's it's at the end of the day, it's not it's not his story. It's kind of what I'm taking from it. But I agree with you where, you know, we're ultimately getting to the the sort of final boss of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, all right, we're gonna have this dinner. I'm gonna take my golds out and drink some red wine out of um, like some plastic cups. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the way to do it. brush real quick. Yeah. So uh, that's pretty much it for the fine folks listening. Um, I want to again thank you for being on this podcast and chopping it up with me. And um, I want to invite and encourage you to tell people where to check you out, to check out your work and all of that good stuff. It's not necessarily movie related, but I'm sure you have a movie comment here and there so folks can check you out. So let the folks know where they can check you out. Yeah, Rob, thank you for having me today. It's been great. Um, Hope we can do this again soon. So I'm Christopher Chester. Um, You can find me on Instagram at at Christopher J. Chester. I'm also a designer, and you can check me out on my website at uh, ChristopherJChester.com. I'll do a quick little plug as well that I also run a uh, monthly radio show with my best friend Micah E. Wood called Employees of the Month over on Gutsy Radio. You can find all of our episodes on Mixcloud.com. We talk about a variety of different topics from month to month and also share music hybrid hybrid uh talk show slash music show so yeah that's where you can find me uh on the internet thank you um and i'm rob lee truth in this art truth in this art you know it's, it's a podcast i do it arts and culture Christopher and Mike have been on air, so it's, it's fine. Uh, and uh, yeah, definitely um, check it out. Check us out uh, next week or so. I don't know when these podcasts come out anymore. Check us out for the next episode of uh, Let's Watch It Again. Uh, share, subscribe, all of that good stuff. And again, thank you. It seems so good to see you back again. How long has it been? 